Well, good morning. Our study this morning is, Who is God? And what, a, what a title. And that by the time we're done, we'll be able to define God and know everything there is to know about God. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like the, um, the guy who went to the ocean and he, he dipped a glass into the ocean and pulled it out and said, I've got the ocean in a glass. <laughs> so, and whenever we look at our understanding of God, we say, well, I've got, I've got God in, in my glass. Well, I like the idea that uh, and the ocean is big enough for children to play in on the beach, and it's big enough or small enough for the ocean to pl for kids to play at the beach and big enough for whales to swim throughout its waters and, you know, you know keep on going for months. So... I guess we're like the whales trying to understand or put a, um, an understanding into our um, concepts, our belief of who God is and what his involvement with us, uh, and what he, what he intended his involvement to be with us. Um, so the, the questions that it starts off with and talks about is who is God? Uh, what is he doing and how are we involved with this whole process? So we need to, uh, well, in, in essence, we need to answer some of these questions in a relatively understandable way, even though we believe and understand that God is with us and God is greater than anything we can put together, uh, but there's still, there still concepts, there's still things that God tries to convey to us through his word. So the focus of this lesson primarily is who is God? And uh, with, if we have time, we'll get into the other two. Thankfully, God has chosen to make himself known to us. So it is not the intent of God to, to hide from his creation. It is the intent of God to reveal himself to his creation. And he has done so through, through the scriptures and, and lastly through Jesus Christ. But uh, we find ourselves facing this mystery. And the, the um, commentator states that this mystery is one that we cannot solve. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have understanding of it, but to understand the mystery of God, again, is the whale in the ocean, you know, or the guy having the cup of water, and I have the ocean. So we understand the mystery of God, and we got this cup of water thinking we have this understanding of God. So we'll see how all of this comes together and uh, how that uh, the scriptures talk to us about who God is and uh, what is his involvement. So the first scriptures we have are in uh, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So, um, the understanding is in the beginning God. <laughs> the premise for everything that will follow is in Scripture or in creation is in the beginning God. So, I like uh, the one translation has, uh, has it that before the beginning began, God is. <laughs> or I am. So, and everything that follows follows with the understanding that God is in the beginning, and he is the one who created it. So the first thing God does is separate light from darkness. He calls the light day and the darkness night. 
Well, that is, the, that is the creation of linear time. So before this separation, there was no time. Eternity passed. And whenever we go into the new heavens and the new earth at the end of the book of Revelation, we have eternity future because there is no day and night. There is no night there. So with the separation of, of day and night um, began, the time, began time. And so... Um, this linear time is that God was there before there was time, and he will be here after there is time. Well, it's hard for us to imagine any other way. You know, that's all we've ever known is day and night, you know, 24 hours and so on. Well, God did not create because he needed something. He needs nothing outside of himself. So people, well, why did God create? Did he need something? Did he need worship? Did he need angels? Did he need us? Well, God doesn't need anything, but it is, it is that his creation is out of an overflow of love. You know, in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is from this overflow of love that creation uh, came into existence. So, <clears throat> so um, after the creation of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we find that God exists outside and apart from his creation. This is an important thing. Is we, uh, this is what was meant by transcendent. So there's a couple of words uh, <laughs> that we're going to throw out here. One is transcendent. Transcendent means that God is um, not in his, well, in one sense, he is not in his creation. So if creation goes away, God is, all right? So uh, so transcendent means that he is involved with his creation, but yet he does not, he is not his creation. Like some people worship trees and flowers and bees and stuff, and you know, they say, they think they're worshiping God. No, this is God's creation. One of the things to, that we'll make mention of here is that creation speaks to us, but it speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. You know, see a beautiful sunset. Well, you know, well, is that sunset speaking to us? Well, people have misinterpreted it as, as saying, well, the sunset has spoken to us. God is in the sun and in the sunset. Well, no, God is not the sun. God is not the sunset. Um, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about the greatness of God. So whenever we were in um, Colorado, going up on the mountains there and seeing all this, the, the, the Rocky Mountains, you know, it was so majestic, and it's like, and, you know, the, I thought it was no wonder the Indians worshipped the mountains, you know, but it isn't that the mountains were speaking to them, God was speaking to them, and they couldn't go beyond that understanding that it was the mountains speaking rather than God speaking to them. So that we find is tran in transcendence, we're saying that God transcends his creation is that it's like he's over it and that he's not in it which in which is the opposite of pantheism now pantheism is saying that god is a part of his creation that when you see the tree that is god you know i think of it uh, 
dumb way to remember it, but pantheism is a flat as a pan, you know, flat earth society, and all you got is, is God, you know, they, everything they see is God. And, uh, you know, God, that's what they had the, in the Old Testament, in even some tribes, they, they worship God, they, the, the trees, they worship the ocean, they sacrifice, uh, make sacrifices to um, the, the sun god, the moon god, you know, so that the sun will come back up in the morning, you know, understand. So, Anyhow, they see um, the creation as being God. And no, uh, it ref it's reflective of God. And, the, and the, the God, by the Holy Spirit, speaks to us through his creation that his beauty, his grandeur, and, and things like that. But he is, they are not God. So... So it's important that creation is, is finite... So as we look at um, the, the difference here, creation is finite, meaning that creation is going to go away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So heaven and earth are finite. They are going to pass away. So God is, uh, with God, without God, there is no creation. He spoke the world into existence. So without God, there is no creation. But on the other hand, uh, without creation, God still is. <laughs> so, I, I like that one. You know, uh, without God, there is no creation. Without creation, there's, there still is God. All right? So, we have to uh, understand this whole idea. So, the idea of God's transcendence means we cannot completely fathom God in his essence. We cannot think um, his thoughts, we do not have his perspective. His knowledge is beyond our comprehension. Truly, in every way, he is God and we are not. <laughs> he is God and we are not. <laughs> so, so be it for us outthinking God. God is near and with his creation, Psalm 19. So we jump from Genesis to the Psalms. Psalm 19:1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So what we're lo you're looking here is what we're saying here, that God, we can, the, the voice of God, the Holy Spirit speaks to us as we look at his creation. That's what the psalmist is saying to us here. The heavens declare the glory of God. So it isn't that the heavens are speaking to us. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us about the heavens. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. Then Psalm 139, verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. So, God is other than his creation. Okay? God is other than. So, you know, we have, we have creation, we have the world. Well, God is other than, more than 
the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the flowers, the earth, so on. Scripture also tells us he is actively involved in and with his creation. He is active in and with his creation at all times and in all places. Now, this is different from deism. Deism is like a, uh, you know, uh, a clockmaker. He uh, winds up the clock and lets it go. Uh, deism says that God created this whole place and just threw it out there in space and we'll see where it ends up. No, that God, that's not what, who God is. Um, it says whenever, verse 1, when we look at the heavens, the sky above us, we see God's handiwork. Verse 3 translated, there is no speech nor are there words, their voice is not heard. In other words, all of creation speaks without words. <laughs> so when somebody looks at the sky or the trees or whatever and thinks that they're speaking to them. <laughs> um, they have a problem, and it isn't God. <laughs> so. Um, so all creation speaks without words, giving us a sense of the presence and power of the creator. So we're looking at these things, and we have a sense of God, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about God and his creation and, and what he is doing and the power of the creator. What must God be like to create this? <clears throat> the speech without words is conveyed through, throughout the earth, and this is called natural revelation. <laughs> natural revelation is that people can look at and, and see the, the creation, and it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is speaking through this creation to the individual, and it's a natural revelation that they have of God and, and what the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to them about. So the scripture further reveals creation itself is not what is speaking to the heart of humans. It is the work of God's Spirit using creation as a means to communicate God's perspective. So the trees and the sunset and the beauty is not speaking to us. It is God who is speaking to us, giving us his, communicate to us God's presence, that God is with us. You know, whenever, whenever the psalmist says, if I take the wings of the morning and go to the othermost parts of the earth, you know, God's already there. Well, it's, you know, it's letting us know that the presence of God is omnipresent, everywhere present, but at the same token, he, he is there already. You know, God is already there, and the revelation that comes from the, the, uh, the earth and the um, stars and the sky, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us about God. Scripture also reveals God as personal. So now we have, you know, the opposite of deism, <laughs> you know, that, that God is part of the, um, all of the creation, well, God is personal. He is relational. So what we have is God is not part of every plant, but he, you know, he, he can, the Spirit can speak through all of his creative order. You know, 
There's no uh, two snowflakes that are the same. There's no two blades of grass. There's no two people have the same fingerprint. You know, there's this, there's this ver variety of, uh, in creation. And, you know, God is the one who, who creates this. And uh, we find that uh, whenever we're trying to see who God is, we must un understand that God is relational, that God desires to be in relation with his creation. Um, he is not an impersonal force. <laughs> you know, some believe that uh, you, know, you can't approach God. He's too busy. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, uh, he might be out to lunch, and you don't want <laughs> to disturb him. He might be sleeping. You know, that was, that was what um, uh, Elijah was, uh, was confronting the, the, the prophets of Baal with because the prophets of Baal had given Baal some human characteristics. You know, their God had human characteristics, so uh, Elijah was taunting them by saying, <laughs> maybe he's sleeping, you know. <laughs> maybe he's off, out of the office, you know, things like that. So... And this same thing, God is personal, he is relational. So God continues to be mindful of humankind and works among us by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit, you know, God can never leave us nor forsake us, so the Holy Spirit is what is working between us and in us and the body of Christ, drawing us together, drawing, you know, ho holding us together in our faith and, and knowing um, you know, the will and purpose of God. So whenever we find the psalmist said, the spirit of God is present. If I go to the heavens or if I go down to the grave, God is already, uh, God is already there. So God's activity in and with his creation, and more particularly, energizing the wills and souls of the believers. So God is imminent. He is imminence. <laughs> um, and eminence is God's activity in and with his creation. So another term, <laughs> eminence, God is active uh, with his creation. So, um, well, the difference, eminence is active, transcendence, uh, both of these are correct. Uh, see, they feel, you know, the, the um, skeptics feel that it's either, one or, it's either one or the other. He's either not part of his creation or he is part of his creation. Well, eminence says he is not part. He is above all of his creation. Should the created order go away, he still is. Well, then we have where God is personal. God is relational. So he is eminence. He is working with and in his creation. Well, how can he be both? Well, he's God. <laughs> you know, he does both. He doesn't uh, restrict who he is to one way or the other. That God, you know, the world goes away, God still is. But while, the you know, while we are here in the world, God is with us. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor, hath taught him? Then Romans 1.20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, 
even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Well, so the proper understanding of God's eminence and his transcendence. Uh, transcendence, we said, exists apart from his creation. Tran eminence is his activities in and with his creation. So we have both. Um, he did not need, <laughs> I always like this particular scripture in Isaiah. Uh, who hath directed the spirit of the Lord? Uh, who, who, gives, who gave counsel to God? <laughs> you know? I'm sure it was Mrs. God, right? <laughs> I hope that was not sacrilegious. I mean, you know. <laughs> but no, he didn't need, God does not, he is not need of counsel because his ways are above understanding. And the, you know, whenever it says that all things work together for good, God's counsel has basically set these things in order in our life. He has set things in order in the world. And the events of the world, no matter how terrible they may be, God is still bringing them around to a certain point. Because people have the ability to choose what direction they will take. One of the ideas that, hopefully I'll get to it, is that whenever we choose to break or disobey God's commands, we are telling God, I have a better way. <laughs> That's what Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, God says, don't eat of the tree of good knowledge of good or evil. Well, Satan says, well, yeah, you'll be just like God. And in one sense, that was correct, because they will now know good and evil, and evil will give them um, the perspective that they can say no to God. And one of the things is that when, when we say no to God, it ends up making us, what is it, extremely uh, individual, um, wanting our own way, wanting, you know, we do our own thing. And we find that in our society, when people are, you know, breaking the commands of God, there is no, there are no commandments. Well, because there's no, they don't want a higher power. They don't want to be accountable. So become selfish. So whenever people are breaking the commands of God, they become very selfish, become self-centered. And so the whole world revolves around them and their needs and what they want. And it's all because that of this. Uh, um, and every time we break, we as individuals would break the commands of God, we're telling God, I got a better way. Well, it's generally something that would make us more than what I am, make me feel good, look good, better than what I am. So let's go on here. Uh, anyhow, <clears throat> everything God created, he declared to be very good. This means that all things were in a right relationship with God and other things. I never knew that one. <laughs> very good means that everything was in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other things. So whenever we are asking God to turn things around, to make things good, we then are trusting that, that our life 
will fit into the good, and all the other people that are in the good, the very good, will all fit into a pattern, a way that fits the body of Christ, that, that um, fulfills the plan of God for us and for the world around us. So, what else? Um, he desires for them, for Adam and Eve, he, he desired for them to rely on him to guide them into all truth. Thus, they were instructed to avoid eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So when God is talking to us about doing good, his desire is for us to, his desire for, for us is that he will guide us into all truth. Whenever we say no to God, we are saying, I'll guide myself into all truth. <laughs> and so that's where we have people just saying there is no God. As far as it is in between me and my God, everything is okay. That was what one guy told me. Uh, so he didn't want to be reminded of the things that were spiritual and biblical. He didn't want to know about them, but he, so he told me, you know, you can just, you know, don't need to come back here anymore, so... But anyhow, they were instructed to avoid eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, the temptation of the serpent toward Eve was to eat of that tree so they would be like God. In effect, by eating the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve were making a declaration of their independence from God's righteousness. Wow. They were declaring that they were independent of God's righteousness. They were independent of God's laws. They were independent of God's perspective. They were going to develop their own. Whenever we see a selfish society, or selfish, we find this is what has been happening. This is what's going on. Instead, they were determined for themselves that they should, what they should or should not do. We're going to, we're going to, you know, it's like a little, little kid, you know. We're going to do what we want. Well, by their choices to sin, Adam and Eve suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. So when we choose to do our own thing against, against the will of God, we are suppressing the truth. Wow. And, you know, in our society, in our... <laughs> say, in our news media or whatever, whenever, whenever people are um, suppressing the truth, it's about keeping themselves free from the hang-ups of truth. <laughs> so. um, the choice to live our lives based on our own understanding of truth and righteousness is at the heart of what we mean by the term sin nature. So, the, the natural, the sin nature, the, the nature of our person is, the, you know, we, that we inherited from Adam and Eve. We say, well, if I was in the garden, I'd have never eaten of that tree. Well, we've eaten of that tree a thousand times. <laughs> so. So, um, this is not only saying we do not need God to tell us how to live, we are calling into question his in inherent goodness and justice.
In verse 19 and 20, we are told God has not kept to himself the knowledge of what is right and true. He has actively revealed to all humankind from the dawn of creation. So whenever we see how that the Holy Spirit speaks through creation, it's telling us about, he is speaking to us about the goodness of God, the power of God, the beauty of God, how that God is wanting to create that same beauty and power and strength in us, and uh, how that, you know, he is working in us. So then we move to ver the, the second part, uh, judge of right and wrong. This is Romans chapter, chapter 2, verse 12. Anybody ever ask you the question, what happens to all those people who never heard the gospel? Where do they go? We have the answer. What's that? Yeah, judge by what you know. And he tells us right here. For as many as have sinned without the law. So Paul is dividing humankind into two groups, Jews and Gentiles. Jews who have the law, Gentiles who are without the law. So, as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. And the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So these two groups are Jews and Gentiles. The Gentiles do not have the benefit of the relation provided by the law. But they were the recipients of the revelation of God provided to all humankind in creation. So, the challenge is, how did they, how, when God, now if you look at and think about this, God in creation and God speaking to us, you know, in the beauty of the mountains and the sky and all that, and the trees, he's trying to convey to us <coughs> who he is and, and, you know, his love for us and desire. But many people took that, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Many people, they interpret that as the trees were speaking to them, therefore the tree is a god. So they worship the trees. No, the spirit was trying. So how they interpreted that is how they will face this, this time of judgment. Um, so Gentiles uh, have sinned without the law and as a result would perish apart from the law, reaping in themselves the consequences of their choices. Ephesians. Ephesians 4.22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then the second verse is 1 Peter 1.15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So the answer to the sin problem here in Romans is found only in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So if we're going to be overcome, co overcomers of the sin problem, the sin nature, it only comes through um, a relational experience with Jesus Christ. Um, salvation means that there is an end to an old way of living, a beginning of a new way of living. Um, Jesus, with John um, and 
Nicodemus, you must be born again. It is a spiritual birth that, that God is creating inside of us when we confess our sins and we have a, a new nature. So uh, moral, we are, humans are moral creatures, means we are capable of making decisions based on a sense of right and wrong, opposed to being limited to acting instinctively. So we would say that the birds that fly south, you know, in the winter or, you know, all of those types, we say, well, that's their instincts taking over. Well, what we're saying here is that, um, that human beings are capable of making decisions about right and wrong um, as uh, the, the, the we're capable of knowing the difference between right and wrong, and it is not an instinctive decision. So, um, so it would be, you know, we, it would be different if we were, you know, acting upon instinct. <laughs> we're not, we're acting upon choice. Um, Christian, uh, we must be renewed, and part of the renewing of the spirit in the life of the Christian is moral renewal. We must lay aside the old self and be renewed in the spirit of our mind. We are saved by grace through faith, but by faith we must also put on the new man, which was created in righteousness and true holiness. Which brings us to another topic, <laughs> holiness. So the um, holiness is not a result of our efforts to suppress sinful behaviors, <laughs> um, nor is it a... Um, a way to uh, portray to other people that we are separate from, uh, from, from them and their sins. Holiness comes as we behold the Lord through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, transformed into the image of Christ from glory to glory. So our holiness is in separation from sin, but closeness to God. And um, one of the statements here says, well, which form of holiness is the right form. <laughs> you know, when, uh, when I grew up in the church, my, you know, my mom, uh, she had a bun, and, you know, in her hair, she wore, you know, she, my mom never wore pants, maybe in the last few years of her life, she would wear sweatpants or something, but she would never wear, never wear pants. You know, I was just forbidden. And there were open-toed shoes and long sleeve shirts, you know, I mean, it was just, there was a, a, a dress that was, and that was supposed to, in one sense, it was, a, it was is the right thing, because it was trying to portray this holiness, this set aside, this separate from the world type of experience. But some individuals have relied upon and looked to how that they are different as to set up a standard that this is what a Christian is, is the way we dress. But the way we dress means very little if our heart is not in close relationship with God. Then uh, Acts 17, verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, so one of the things, as we would look at the, the, the idea of holiness being in the uh, 
form of uh, how a person dresses, so that would be like God is with me because of how I dress. Well, then this other would be God is, God, God lives in a temple, God lives in a church, God lives in, you know, but he's telling us the Lord, he is Lord of heaven and earth and he dwells not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. You know, um, you would think <laughs> that uh, if you were going to give blood, that you, you would think that being in, you know, uh, being of a European descent, that our blood would be different than a person in China or India, you know, uh, uh, and it would be, no, they're all of one blood. I mean, we have different, you know, a, type A, whatever, those types of bloods, but it's still one blood. And how, you know, how that is uh, spoken of here in the scriptures, you know, did, uh, did uh, the author here understand that, that everybody bleeds red blood. <laughs> no. Well, he did in one sense. So, the challenge is um, many believe that all religions are a pathway to God. Okay? All the religions are good. They all have a, a, a way to bring us to the divine. <laughs> so, then we have those who feel that um, personal uh, transcendence, you know, um, getting out of, you know, there are those who have uh, out-of-body experiences and, you know, they travel around the universe and this is the way to God. And no, it's not. Those are just deceptive ways. But um, others believe that the path of salvation is marked by good works, by human effort. And we find that the problem with the fallen nature, the sinful nature is we are trying to find a way to make God happy, please him by our actions, whether it's in our holiness or whether it's in our religious experience or religious um, beliefs, whether it's in doing, you know, we've got to do all the right things so that at the end my good will outweigh the bad and I'll get into heaven, you know, and or, you know, we're just constantly trying to measure up and, but all of these are wrong because they don't, they don't talk to us about this personal relationship that God has with his creation. Um, the ones, um, people achieving salvation by their own strength. If you are, you know, uh, dogged enough uh, to, to uh, do all of the right things like the, you know, the Pharisees and uh, the Sadducees in the, in the New Testament where they put all these laws together and if they kept them all, well, God would be happy. Well, transcendence and eminence. Our God is transcendent. He is holy. He is other than his creation. His eminence, that God is with us. So, we do not have to make ourselves get to where God is. God is already here. We don't have to please God by our human effort. 
God's grace and his mercy are what speak to our hearts and lives. Um, God is not hiding from us. He is making himself known to us. And then finally, that without faith it is impossible to please him. So if we're looking to please God, we want to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And that he is wanting to bless our lives and wanting to be involved in our lives. And faith is our belief that God is wanting to do this. And so it's almost, well, faith is uh, perhaps the key that unlocks the door that opens uh, heaven to us. And so we are believing for God to, to work in and through us and that he, you know, he desires to be uh, part of my life. He desires for my sins to be forgiven and separated from my life. He desires for me to walk with him. And so, um, and finally, Corey Ten Boone said, it is not a matter of having great faith in God, but having faith in a great God. <laughs> great faith in God, not as much as having faith in a great God. God is always the, the greatest, the best, the above, and that we are looking to see how his revelation is given to us and how that revelation changes us from the inside and creates an expectancy and creates this understanding that he is with us. Should all the earth cease to exist, God still is. But every aspect of creation, every aspect of us, God is with us. So, with us to help us and change and be diligent in seeking God. Father, we thank you that you have spoken. You speak to us by your word and your spirit. And we pray that you will guide us in our thoughts as we put place these things together bring back to our remembrance this which we have studied that it will guide us in our daily walk with you and that we will not consider ourselves greater than your commands because truly lord we need your direction we need your word so bless let all things come together to work together for good because lord it is you who said these are very good let that be our lives, we pray, fitting naturally into the order of the divine so that we may fulfill the plan of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.